Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. What about me? I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at chrishedges.substack.com. The total cost of the 2022 federal midterm elections is projected to exceed $9.3 billion. But what do we get from what must surely be the most expensive electoral system on the planet? There's little real choice. The dismantling of our democracy, which took place over the last few decades on behalf of corporations and the rich, has been a bipartisan project, leaving only the outward shell of democracy. The courts, legislative bodies, the executive branch, and the media, including public broadcasting, are captive to corporate power. There is no institution left that can be considered authentically democratic. The corporate coup d'etat is over. They won. We lost. The wreckage of this corporate coup is appalling. Endless and futile wars to enrich a military industrial complex that bleeds the U.S. Treasury of half of all discretionary spending, deindustrialization that has turned U.S. cities into decayed ruins, the slashing and privatization of social programs, including education, utility services, and health care, which saw over one million Americans account for one-fifth of global deaths from COVID, although we are 4% of the world's population, Draconian forms of social control embodied in militarized police, functioning as lethal armies of occupation in poor urban areas, the largest prison system in the world, a virtual tax boycott by the richest individuals and corporations, money-saturated elections that perpetuate our system of legalized bribery, and the most intrusive state surveillance of the citizenry in our history. How are we to interpret these elections, which will create even more political paralysis with Republican control of the House? And what should we expect in the next presidential election? Joining me to discuss the political landscape in the wake of the midterm elections is former presidential candidate and consumer advocate Ralph Nader. You can find him at ralphnader.substack.com. Ralph, let's begin with the midterms. Uh, It wasn't the blowout uh, of the Democratic Party that many expected. How do you interpret what happened? Well, uh, coming off the list that you just uh, described about the situation in this country and its impact on the world, my first reaction was there are 535 people in the Congress who could change it all. Uh, and, And they don't all have to be unanimous. It could just be a plurality or a a majority of members. So what are we waiting for? Check off your entire list, Chris. And we got the votes. The corporations don't have the votes. They have money, but the members of Congress want the money to get the votes against their primary or general general election uh, opponents. So it it just uh, is very intriguing that people thrash around, groaning, moaning, being sickened, injured, blocked, discriminated against, deprived, uh, and uh, they don't focus on the Kyber Pass, which is Congress. Whether we like it or not, that's the institution that has the greatest authority to take on these big corporations and take on the predators and to drive 
peace in the world instead of war and empire. And we're listening to all these recountings of the ills, ailments, and injustices and the brutish scenarios coming up in the future with climate disruption and uh, reneging on any kind of compact uh, with posterity. And we don't focus on Congress. And so, you know, the midterm election, they're running around the campaigns like they're ward bosses. You know, we're going to fix this pothole here. And we're going to make sure that there is a a public service there. And instead of looking at the big picture of the concentration of power, they're doing this piecemeal retail uh, assurances uh, of the public which, of course, drives the expectation of the people even lower. And when you drive the expectation lower as to what members of Congress running for election or challengers running to defeat them, when you control those expectations at such a low level, the members of Congress get away with uh, their responsibility for the country under the Constitution. We the people, they're the ones who get the taxing power in Congress, the spending power, the confirmation of judges and official power, uh, the right uh, not to go to war, uh, just there's no end to it. So I keep saying if if all of these efforts for justice uh, around the country, small, large, national, local, do not focus on Congress and the state legislatures and the town uh, councils, uh, they're going to be spinning their wheels forever as this country is driven into the ground. I want to talk about the impediments, though. So first of all, you have redistricting. So most races are not actually competitive. Uh, the Democratic Party redistrict uh, the uh, seat that uh, Dennis Kucinich had to, to drive him out. And number two, if you aren't awash in money, and you saw this in your own campaign – uh, you you were drawing uh, crowds. I think you filled Madison Square Garden. Uh, everybody had to pay $5 to get in. Uh, so I don't know how many thousands of people, but you didn't have access to uh, television, uh, which would have given you an audience of millions. Uh, so there are serious impediments to essentially breaking the the power of this duopoly. Yeah, but the impediments melt away if people organize in every congressional district to reflect the congruence of left-right opinion in this country, which is uh, deleted from the news accounts. I like to talk about polarization, red state, blue state, conservative, liberal. Uh, We know that on the fundamental necessities of life, there's a huge convergence, 70, 80, 90 percent in the polls. There was one poll a few years ago, Chris, 90% of people wanted to break up the big banks, 90%. You got 75% or so want universal health care, even without a major party pushing for it. And, and it just goes on and on, whether it's cracking down on corporate crooks, whether it's changing the campaign finance system, whether it's controlling what people own, like pension funds and, and, uh, Mutual funds, which uh, together own three-quarters of the stock of the companies on the New York and NASDAQ stock exchanges. So the people have the power, but they've allowed it to be 
seized because they don't do their homework back home. They don't spend time on their civic responsibilities, and they don't say to the members of Congress, hey, we're the ones who have the sovereign power. Yeah, you've got it from us, and you're using it against us, and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. So the only place where democracy comes before work is in the dictionary. And so we got to stop spinning our wheels and recounting disaster after disaster when we can control the legislative bodies, local, state, and national. Look at the initiatives in Nebraska uh, and and, uh, right-wing states. They have passed minimum wage increases against massive corporate opposition, saturating the television, Florida, Arkansas, uh, in the the one conservative state, South Dakota, the Republican-dominated legislature, the governor and the corporations all opposed an initiative uh, to constitutionalize Medicaid, not just to uh, send a statute, but to put the, the Constitution of South Dakota. Who won? The people won. Because they they started working. They rolled up their sleeves. Otherwise, all we're doing is documenting despair, perdition, pessimism, which discourages people and and turns them into cynics, uh, which leads to withdrawal from the political arena and which makes the corporations laugh all the way to the bank. I want to talk about fear because I think Matt Taibbi wrote that most Americans don't vote for what they want. They vote against the political figure they hate. Uh, the, the divisions largely, as you point out, there's a majoritarian opinion on many of the issues you just cited. Uh, but there is this cultural divide uh, and people employ fear. Uh, Biden's own record as a in the Senate – uh, and even as vice president, is pretty appalling from supporting Anita Hill to, I think, five years before the invasion of Iraq. He talked about taking Saddam down. He, uh, of course, has rehabilitated Mohammed bin Salman, a fervent supporter of the apartheid state in Israel. He fought school busing. Uh, he passed, uh, the, uh, was aggressively, he sponsored the 1994 crime bill. Uh, and uh, the three strikes, you're out. The, the third violent fen- penalty law where you can't get parole, uh, the uh, NAFTA, Glass-Steagall. Uh, um, and uh, so these are not uh, issues that we look back on and support, uh, but the Democrats, like the Republicans, play on this fear, the fear of uh, and, and I do see, as you do, a figure like Trump to be frightening and these fringe candidates to be frightening. But it seems that that is the primary currency uh, of at this point of our political system. Yeah. Well, there are millions of people who don't buy it. We need tens of millions of people who don't buy it. We need people talking to one another in the neighborhoods. We need people to turn out for town meetings. There are all kinds of jurisdictions in this country that allow for the referendum uh, to be uh, stocked with all kinds of progressive legislation at the federal, at the state and local level. Most people don't even know about it. They don't even use it. Why? Because our schools don't begin 
teaching uh, these children uh, and civic knowledge, civic skills, and civic experience learned by doing. All of this uh, comes down to how much time do people spend uh, to produce a deliberative democracy that wages peace and justice, equality, and uh, foreseeing and forestalling the perils for our posterity, like climate disruption. That's what it comes down to. And if we don't address it at that level, if we don't highlight the victories of the people over powerful interests that occur from time to time in this country, we're just documenting despair, producing discouragement, producing withdrawal from the political system, and uh, uh, people then just dive into their own uh, discouraging lives and uh, watch entertainment, uh, bet on sports. We've got to turn it around. And uh, the, the nice thing about this approach is you only have to turn around a, a supermajority of 535 people. And you know what they want. More than anything else, they want to win. And that means votes. So you focus votes to nullify the effect of money. I mean, look at the victory of Summer Lee uh, coming out of Pittsburgh. She's 32 years old, and she's going to be the next representative in, car- in the House from, from an area around Pittsburgh. She was opposed by corporations. She took on the dark side of the United Steelworkers. They opposed her. APAC put a million to $2 million just before the election to defeat her. She beat them all. How? She developed a grassroots coalition uh, based on the principle that they all bleed the same color. It doesn't matter what labels they put on themselves. And she forged this coalition and beat them all. A spectacular story, which the New York Times is not spending much time reporting on. They're they're too obsessed with uh, Taylor Green, the uh, madcap uh, representative from Georgia putting her on the cover of the New York Times magazine, and they give all kinds of attention to crazy right-wing groups and institutes, and and they give people the impression nothing's happened on the progressive side uh, during the election period. So, you know, Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh is not Ann Arbor. It's not Cambridge. Uh, It has a lot of conservatives, and she beat them all. Energy, that's the civic energy is what's needed. You have people, you have like 82% of Republicans against Citizens United, which is a Supreme Court decision over a decade ago that, that said corporations could give unlimited money for and or against um, candidates in elections, unlimited. And um, a lot of it, dark money. You got over 80% of the Republicans when they're polled on that or against it. It has to be organized. Otherwise, the divide and rule strategy of the two party duopoly, fronting for giant corporations, will forever control the people who are the only people who have the votes. I mean, bad as corporations are, Chris, they don't yet have the vote, not yet at least. Let's talk about the inevitable paralysis with the Republican control of the House. 
Biden's already been stymied by Manchin and uh, uh, Democrats who essentially vote as Republicans. What is that going to mean for going ahead? Well, it's going to mean that uh, nothing's going to be done other than the routine stuff of just passing budgets for government agencies. Uh, the Republicans have such a narrow margin, they're not going to get anything done. Uh, and they'll be blocked in the Senate. Um, so it's two years um, of very little being done. And it's the Democrats' own fault. I mean, it's the worst Republican Party in history. You cannot find a Republican Party since 1854 that has so many positions that are against the health, safety, and economic interests of children, of women, of workers, of small taxpayers, of communities all over the country, of consumers, of patients. This is a vicious, callous, inbred, ignorant, in corporate indentured, uh, corrupt party. And what does the Democrats? They lose to them. And then they, they say, hey, look at the pundits. They said it was going to be a, a red wave, and it wasn't a red wave. So it's a victory. That's how they fool the people. Victory. What would happen if there were no polls and no pundits? Would the Democrats have pleaded victory? They lost the House of Representatives, for heaven's sake. Right. Well, they, they, they lost because on all of the issues they just cited, they, they, they have surrendered. Yeah, they lost because it starts with the nomination process. They exclude third parties. Okay, who's they? Who's they? It's the state legislatures that have these ballot access barriers and allow this to happen. They, they lost for reasons of their own making. Um, for example, they wanted to, John Larson of Connecticut wanted to increase the benefits of Social Security. It hasn't been increased, he said, in 40 years. So he puts in a bill, and it's very comprehensive, and he's sweet-talked by Nancy Pelosi and, and his chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, the crypto uh, Republican, uh, but a Democrat in name only, Richard Neal from Western Massachusetts. And he starts pressing. He says, why aren't you passing this through the House? And they say, well, it's not the right time. We don't want to be accused of excessive spending. So he drafts the letter, which is, is, is he wants his Democrats in the House to co-sign. He drafts the letter accusing the Senate of sabotaging the whole process, the Democrats in the Senate, using the filibuster as an excuse. And he says, let the Republicans filibuster. Let them go on the floor hour after hour after hour on national television uh, against increasing the benefits of Social Security for millions of elderly Americans. And he was blocked and stymied. Now, any active citizenry, Chris, would have dug into that and made it a major issue inside the Democratic Party. That's the way you, you start up, upending uh, these indentured senior Democrats who have concentrated power in the hands of three members, Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and, uh, and the third one, and, and they control the subcommittees and the committees. And all this started with Newt Gingrich, who did, who did this, uh, when he was speaker in, in 1995, and the Democrats never changed it. He cut budgets of committees, cut staff, 
cut the GAO, the monitor of spending, the executive branch, waste, fraud, and abuse, eliminated the Office of Technology Assessment, which would have exposed some of these massive uh, weapon and civilian technology boondoggles, and uh, the Democrats inherited it. So you always got to go back to the people. What do they think? What do they know? Uh, what do they want for their families? Okay, and you got to organize it. Look, labor never became unionized without rank-and-file people. Co-ops were never established without rank-and-file people. It never was top-down. It's all bottom-up, so we got to focus on the people here. Let's talk about Trump, who's just announced. Uh, what, what's your read on the Trump candidacy and the future tactics of the Republican Party? Well, first of all, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, any state can ban him from running for election based on this January 6th findings of insurrection. That's the insurrection section of Section 3 the 14th Amendment. Um, the January 6th committee report is going to be out soon, and they could recommend that to the states and say, you know, start enforcing Section 3, the 14th Amendment. You know, if he, if he is banned from uh, running for re-election of four or five states, he can't possibly compete, even at the primary level. The second thing is, um, Jack Smith, the new special counsel, people have said that you couldn't pick someone better uh, for the attorney general uh, to pursue two criminal violations against Trump, which could end his, in his indictment. And it's very unlikely that he's going to have much course to the primary victory if he's under indictment from those two uh, violations, not to mention the one that's uh, being prepared in New York state against him. And uh, one was uh, uh, stealing classified documents. And that's one that Garland is handing over to the special counsel to pursue. And the other, of course, is the insurrection in January 6th. Of course, Garland left out about 10 other violations of federal statutes, including the Hatch Act, which was designed to prevent presidents from using the power of the federal government and property against their opponents. And he had campaign events on the White House lawn. He signed millions of checks. Uh, twisting arms over a treasury for the pandemic relief programs. Uh, Garland just is giving him a free pass on one violation after other. And Bruce Fine and I have written Garland listing all these violations more than once. You never get an answer. However, uh, two criminal statute violations are, are more than enough uh, to retire Trump. Now, if that doesn't occur... Trump is going to want a lot of competition at the primary level. That's how he wins. You know, he had 16 Republican opponents in the primary in 2016. And, he, you know, he's the best known. He's the, the most uh, egregious uh, attention getter. And he would like that. He'd split it 10 ways. You know, he'd say, okay, uh, Youngkin, Virginia, come on board, uh, uh, primary me. And, uh, okay, DeSantis, uh, come on board, primary me. But I don't think he's going to get that far. So what do you see happening? I see he's going to be indicted. 
There are civilian suits, excuse me, there are civil suits against him, obviously, from uh, assaulted women and and other people that he's fleeced. Um, And uh, I think there may be a coordinated rebellion in the the Republican Party itself. You just... uh, you just don't get anywhere with other Republican candidates, senators, governors, if the head of the ticket is is not only under indicted, under indictment, but may have actually been convicted. But the Republican Party, that which is, uh, has essentially become this proto-fascist entity, uh, and certainly while Trump held sway cultish, isn't going to change its stripes, is it? No, it's not. It, it changes its uh, camouflage. Uh, you, uh, you know, they really pursue everything Trump has pursued, uh, whether it's immigration on the border. Um, Wall Street, Trump and them are on the same page. The whole plutocratic system, the anti-union system, the tax cuts at an all-time low for the super rich and, and the big corporations. But it's the camouflage. You know, he embarrasses them. He uses bad language. He attacks people specifically. He doesn't have their style of control. But that's serious. That's a serious problem among politicians. That, that's just a, not a matter of cosmetics. And, uh, and they know they can lose a lot of traction with his kind of blunderbuss and his lying and his... Uh, uh, mischaracterizing people and accusing people of homicides without a single bit of evidence like he has done in the past. Um, and they're, they're also afraid of the violence of his audiences that he can unleash. And, you know, that can make you lose an election. That could scare a lot of conservative Republicans around the Midwest and elsewhere when they see the, the eruption of violence. And, you know, he's, said there are going to be riots in the street if he's denied the nomination. So there is a real deep conflict, not over economic uh, issues, but over how the party presents itself to a public. that it, it doesn't want to scare. He scares people. Does the inevitable paralysis now within Congress uh, empower the Republican Party for the presidential elections? No, because they'll be viewed as the do-nothing house. Mm-hmm. Can't get anything done. If the Democrats are smart, they'd go on the floor of the House, as the Republicans did against them years ago, and throw the gauntlet down. Why aren't you supporting Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security? Why are you against kids? Why don't you expand uh, why, why don't you extend the $300 a month child tax credit that went to 58 million kids from conservative and liberal families? And you blocked the extension in January. Why are you freezing a minimum wage at a paltry $7.25 an hour uh, when you're making huge money uh, in terms of what the taxpayer is paying you and all the benefits? And, uh, they could just throw one gauntlet down. Why are you... Why are you uh, soft on corporate crime? Why are you letting these corporate uh, crooks get away with ripping off the people and endangering their health and safety? Uh, that's what they got to do. And if, <laughs> if they don't do that, 
we'll just have an, another very, very close election, and any kind of idiosyncratic event can tip it one way or another, regardless of the left-right polls supporting basic change in this country, coming in at 70, 75, 80, 85%. I mean, you can't stop that. That's an unstoppable coalition. If the, cor if the Democrats will get rid of their corporate political media consultants who are losing race after race for the Democrats because they have corporate clients throughout the year and they're conflicted, and because they don't want to do a ground game, which is what democracy is all about, and they want the 15% huge television buys. Right now in Georgia, there's this runoff, Chris, between Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker. And Warnock has spent $20 million already uh, charging that Walker is neither competent nor knowledgeable nor fit to be a U.S. senator. Um, well, they're going to put $200 million between them in, in, from November 8th to December 6th. I just imagine $200 million are coming in there. How much of it is the ground game? Well, as little as possible, if the consultants have a say, which is what they do, they want the 15% commission. So Warnock should go around the state of Georgia and change his heavy focus on Walker. Everybody knows about Walker now. And start saying, go vote for a raise. Go vote for universal health insurance. Go vote for cracking down on the corporate crooks that are on your back and in your pocketbook every day. Uh, you know, go, go vote uh, for freedom to vote. Go vote for freedom for women, equal pay for equal work. Go vote for the children. Get that $300 back into the poor families' uh, pocketbooks. I mean, that's the way you win an election. But the, the corporate consultants... Uh, who, who should be the subject of major exposés by the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. You know, they got the reporters. Uh, they're the ones who are destroying the Democratic Party, and they've been doing it for years. Well, if, if Walker uh, or Warnock went around and uh, called for those kinds of programs, that corporate money would dry up, wouldn't it, Ralph? There's no time for it to dry up. They already got it. Mm -hmm. It's December 6th is the runoff. And by the way, the more you can get people on your side by your message and your policies, the less money you, you need. I mean, the money wasted on these TV and social media ads is just staggering. Not only is it wasted, it's the same ad. It's dull. It's repetitious. It's not authentic. And it irritates people. In other words, it boomerangs against itself. Summer Lee, Summer Lee was tremendously outspent, but she had a ground game. Right. That was former presidential candidate and consumer advocate Ralph Nader. You can find him at ralphnader.substack.com. I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrisedges.substack.com. <laughs> 